Hey, hey, any youth leaders out there? Serving with youth in the church is probably one of the most enjoyable callings, but it brings with it a lot of responsibility. How do we effectively lead this rising generation? Well, I have good news for you. Leading Saints has organized the Young Saints Virtual Library, where we have 20 plus hours of presentations all about how to lead youth. We cover topics like how to help youth transition into adulthood, how to help them avoid loneliness, how to handle smartphones in class, and we even go over scientific data about how Latter-day Saint youth differ from other youth. If you'd like to review the Young Saints Library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. So every week we put out an episode that's framed around how I lead, where we talk with everyday leaders across the world and just ask them simply, how is it that you lead? However, this week we're going to do something a little bit different for our how I lead segment. And that is I'm going to play you a recorded interview that I did on board in the seas of the Caribbean with an individual named Ophi. Now, this was all part of the Renew 2023 cruise that Latter-day Travel puts on, and they are so kind to invite me back the last few years to uh, participate in this uh, cruise experience with Latter-day Saints. They have phenomenal speakers like yours truly, and also incredible entertainment like Ophi, who I'm about to interview. Now, if you're not familiar with Ophi's name, you will be in the coming years. He is an up-and-coming, incredible, well, I guess rock star. But under all that leather and that long hair is a remarkable testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a remarkable story of being raised in a mixed faith family, somehow making it on to a mission to Panama City, Panama. And that experience changed his life and now even influences him today as he makes remarkable rock music. So on this ship with Latter-day Travel, we wanted to make sure we put Ophi into context, that he wasn't just some random rock star that happened to be on the ship. He was a Latter-day Saint who has a remarkable story, a remarkable testimony that influences his journey in the music world. So though this interview may not be leadership heavy, it's a remarkable story and one that maybe will inspire you as leaders as you engage with this younger generation. And check out the show notes to follow Ophi in his music journey. He's got a lot of great stuff coming out. And he is definitely a Latter-day Saint to keep on your radar. So here is my interview on the seas of the Caribbean in front of a live studio audience with Ophi. Everybody, put it in your hands together for Ophi. All right. You ready for this? I am ready. I Hello, re- everybody. <laughs> so I asked them for a stack of Kleenexes because we're going hard, my I friend. I cry a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
So we had opportunity last cruise to connect and, and I was, it was a new introduction to me to, to Ophi and Ophi band and everything. And so, but what a blessing it is to, uh, have this sort of context to share your music because maybe the, the tabernacles booked, right? You don't yeah. often get in the tabernacle, <laughs> not yet anyway. So, um, but maybe let's put in the context and you, you told with some, some of our VIP guests last night, just a little bit about your story and upbringing, like where does, uh, the Ophi story begin? 1989. Ooh, that's a good year. I'll say it like that. <laughs> 80s child. 80s yeah. child. Barely. I was born December 26. Yeah. So Merry I Christmas. Always, no, no, it was, <laughs> it was no presents, no gifts. It was, I mean, it was rough. It was rough. Um, but yeah, I was actually born in New England and then uh, we moved to Guam and I lived in Guam for a couple of years. What took you to Guam? What did I do in Guam? Well, I mean, what took your family oh, to Guam? My dad, my dad worked for the FAA. Oh. Federal Aviation Administration. Um, so he worked for the government. And then we moved around a lot. But he was also military as well. Um, and then I, we settled in a place called Victorville, California. Yeah, I always get mixed reactions. <laughs> uh, that's outer darkness of California is Victorville. Southern Cal. Southern California. In the mess of Southern Cal. It's just this armpit desert. It's, well, there's nothing out there. Um, but I, man, some of my my best experiences in life and testimony building was, was built there. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a very different religious, multi-religious family. Um, my mom struggled a lot with drug addiction um, and alcohol and depression and bipolar. And my, my dad struggled trying to, to take care of six kids. And, you know, he would always tell me he's not perfect. And I said, dad, I've, I've never been you trying to raise me and married mm. to my mom. You know, I, I, you did the best you could. I think sometimes, especially as kids, we forget that, that our, we've never been our parents, you know? And, and it's funny, as I, as I talk to people who now have kids or grandkids, they say, I, I get it. I get what my mom and dad were trying to do. And I think that's so beautiful about that life cycle that you, you get to grow up and you have those funny, oh yeah, my mom was right. Oh, my dad was right. Yeah, this is way hard. Uh, or, oh, I have a kid just like me. This, my mom, I owe her a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, in my family, my there's six kids. So my oldest brother is agnostic. Then the next brother is Jehovah's Witness. Then my sister's Catholic. Then the brother right after me or right before me um, in age, uh, he's anti-Mormon. And then there's me. And then there's my little sister who's atheist. So what, where did, does your family have a tradition at all of being uh, of the restored gospel or how did that yeah, slip in there? Yeah. Uh, my mom and dad were both converts to the church. And then uh, I was baptized into the covenant. So I got baptized right at eight. And then two years later, they got a divorce and my whole family said, yes, we don't have to go to church anymore. And so they scattered and they went everywhere, mm. including me. So when you were eight, I mean, getting baptized, your family was pretty... Active I mean, enough. they were, yeah, yeah. Active it was enough. definitely the focused religion in your home at that time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As, as much as like it could be in, in a household that's struggling with those okay. problems, you know? So then everybody sort of scatters that goes their yeah. way after that sort of disruption in the family. So what, why, why did you continue on that path? So I actually, I, I took a break from it. I actually left the church with the rest of my family um, because something my mom said, she said, you got to find God on your own. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, I'm 10 years old. <laughs> and she's like, you just got to go out there. Go, go try the world. Go test it. Go see how you experience God. 
So I went to Seventh-day Adventist. I tried Buddhism from, so this is from 10 to about 17 and tried uh, Baptist, Evangelical, Methodist, Lutheran. Like I just went kind of to all of it. Did you have many like Latter-day Saint friends at school that were an influence or was the word like knocking on your door? No, but, but I had a bishop who would not give up on me. Really? I had a, a bishop, Tom Norman, out in Victor. Yeah, Tom. And uh, boy, if he could see me now, you know, <laughs> interviewing with you, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, he never gave up on me. At 12, he invited me to uh, be ordained and, and get the priesthood. Um, and I also had a dream about, I just had this, I'm Native American. So if you're wondering what my brown is, because that's, it happens a lot. They go, what, what's your brown? What, what are you? So my mom's full Native American, Apache and Mayan. And then my dad is Black, Samoan, French, and Welsh. So we dream a lot in, in our culture. And I had a dream of, of a blessing to get from a church. And I knew it was called a patriarchal blessing. Never heard that word before. And so as I'm going to these you know, different churches, I remembered and learned from the, the LDS faith that there was a patriarchal blessing. So I got mine at 12. And in the back of my mind, it was kind of like my safety net. That if I didn't find anything better, I would go back to this church that at least had that. Um, and then I met a girl. I didn't end up marrying her. She's, she was awesome. Typical, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, met a girl who, who taught me more about the Book of Mormon and kept, taught me about the commandments, law of chastity, a word of wisdom, and she got me on a mission. And mm. she got me on a mission. Or I went to Panama, and the rest is history. So, so going on that mission, was it... Uh... I mean, because you didn't get to take the girlfriend with you. No, right? no. So thank goodness. Was there a point where out. you thought like, what am I doing? Like, yeah, what I was actually, that like? I fought it because I, I was 18 at the time. And there was a small record label out in Washington that said, hey, we'd love to work with your band. You know, you're a high school band. And I thought, that's it. That's my big break. Um, goodbye, poor people. I'm going to be rich and famous and I'm out of Victorville. <laughs> and, um, you know, she said, you, you should think about going on a mission. And I said, I don't even know if I believe in this stuff. Why would I go on a mission? Why would I give up two years of my life for something I don't believe in? And uh, she said, well, you should pray about it because God should never have to wait for his children. And so I I, I wanted to break up with her that night. Uh, You don't get me. You don't know me. You don't know my life. Um, And that night, man, I just couldn't sleep. It was the most restless night of sleep I've ever had. And uh, I said a prayer, got on my knees and I prayed and I just said, okay, what's this mission thing? And should I do it? You know, do you really need me? You have so many other people out there. Now, at this point, had did you already received your call or you were just... No, no, okay, no, so call, you're- no call. And, uh, you know, I just, I prayed about it and restless night. And I, I, again, dreams. And I just had this conversation with the Lord that, you know, if you're in a, let's say you go to a different country and you have a chance to be best friends with the king of that country, wouldn't you take that chance hmm. to be best friends with the king? And I thought, well, this is not a king of the country. This is the king of the universe. This is God. This is my creator. That would be the nicest person to be in your pocket or be your best friend would be God. And so I thought I might want to be on his good side and went on a mission. Yeah. And then was there a moment like on the mission where you like locked in like maybe an experience or did it come naturally where you thought nothing could drag me off of this this part of this country? Um, I'm all in and I love every minute of it. Uh, yeah, first day, day one. Really? In the MTC. I, I don't know if you guys like the MTC. I love. I hated it. You hated it? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, such a, it's such a polar thing, you know? Like some people hate the food. I loved it because it was the first time in my life that I had structure. Oh, it was wow. the first time in my life that it wasn't, you know, getting 
moving from house to house or apartment to apartment, getting evicted. It wasn't homelessness. It was, it was the first time that it was like, oh, I, that's my bed and I get to stay there for nine weeks for sure. You know, and then here's food every day. Um, and it was just such a fun experience. And it was, I got sent to a place called San Blas in Panama. It's these islands. First area. Uh, no, okay. this was, this was later second and a half area. Okay. Um, because so, first area was awesome. The, the first person I ever contacted got baptized just right away. And it was, yeah, I was like, this is so easy. Why do people say this is hard? You know, <laughs> I was like, this is so easy. You just talk to them and they say yes. And you baptize them. That's it. Um, so I got really, really lucky, but I also talk to everyone. That is my, I just love You've, That's always been your it's personality. It's been a thing. Yeah. My mom would tell me during, when we'd go to the stores, I would just leave her and go talk to the customers. Just this four or five-year-old kid just asking what they were doing. And she'd be like, get back here. Stop, stop talking to people. That's weird. You know? Um, but I remember being in San Blas and out there they have a belief called Ibi Orgum, which is a belief that a white tuniced God came to visit their island with his wife, who was also in a white tunic, and taught them about life principles, taught them how to govern themselves, taught them about um, commandments and God. And I was like, we have that same belief, third Nephi 11, let me show you, you know? Oh, cool. um, and so that being on that island, I saw so many sacred things that you could could never convince me God wasn't real, that God doesn't, you know, I, I like to tell people that God binge watches your Netflix series, your mm. life. That's cool. And he is so anxious and is just every single episode, just watching you, rooting for you. And he's that invested. And he knows the ending. Yes, you, you win in the end, yeah, like, but I'm still. He's like, I wrote a great story. This is great. You're doing all the right things. Yeah. Um, but he watches it. And I don't know how, because I feel like I'm his favorite character of this movie but you're the favorite character in your movie, you know? And yeah. I don't know how Heavenly Father does that. I am hoping that once I become a dad, you know, you, you, you have your love for your children and it's to the max. And how do you, I don't understand that. I'm not a dad, you know? I don't understand how, how he does that, but I'm so grateful that we get the opportunity to worship a God that absolutely loves and adores us. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll pause sort of that spiritual journey, come back. Like when, when was the moment, like, was there a moment you picked up the guitar and strummed it and you're like, this is my life. Like, but where, where does music en enter the scene of, of your life? 14 years old. Okay. I'm in Victorville, California. My older two brothers, the um, Jehovah's Witness and the uh, anti-Mormon. You don't refer to them as I that. do. Oh, yeah, you do? I okay. do. That's all the time. <laughs> hey, J-Dub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on. Layman yeah. and Lemuel over here. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, his name is Brenton, and then the other one is Bryce. Um, Brenton is the anti-Mormon pastor, and um, believe it or not, him and I actually have a relationship, and it cracks me up because my family is so just scattered. Um, but they started a band, and their bass player quit. And I was 14 years old. They're 21 and 26 at this time, and, or 22 and 26. And so I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to be in a famous rock band at 14. Um, and I auditioned. I auditioned for their band. I did two songs. And at the very, very end of the, the practice, uh, the younger of the two, Brenton, looked at me and he said, you suck. <laughs> and he said, you'll never make it as a front man. Give up on music. You're terrible. And that was it. And I remember I, I stormed off. I'm crying. I went to my room and I remember pacing in my bedroom back and forth. I'm going to show them. I'm going to be the biggest, greatest rock star of all time. And I was just going back and forth, just thinking like, I'm just going to make it someday. I'm just going to make it. And, and that lasted like a day or two. And then I gave up on music. I just quit for a long time. Um, and it wasn't until I got back home from my mission that I picked up the guitar again 
And I just felt something um, mm. because believe it or not, at the end of my mission, I had I told Heavenly Father, I was done with music. I want to be a gospel doctrine teacher and an institute uh, teacher. That was all I wanted to do. After your I, mission. After the it. mission, I was like, I'm done with music. I love teaching. This is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. And he was like, well, if you want music, you can, you can have music. I said, no, 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 it's okay. okay I'll just teach. You know? And then I'll God was like, watch next episode on the Netflix yeah. binge. Oh, you just wait. He thinks it's going us. that way. Here we go. Yeah. And yeah. And so then I was like, oh, I can, I can still do both. I can be a hundred percent into my passion. And that doesn't take away from my testimony of God and vice versa. Mm. I was always told, well, if you love God and you follow the commandments, you'll never make it in music because you can't do that. And no, that's wrong. You a hundred percent can follow your passion and be exactly who you want to be and who you were destined to be. Yeah. So just with your upbringing, how would you, you know, you've, you've alluded to some of these things, just the, being in a, a divorced home and uh, you know, financial difficulties and whatnot, like, uh, what, how would you unpack just what that was like growing up, like, uh, moving a lot or, or what, how would you frame that? Uh, it was tough. I mean, my parents separated a bunch of times. Um, you know, and as, as a kid, the scariest part was going to court and having to tell a judge which parent you'd rather live with. I mean, sitting there and me and my sisters are, are, are 10, 11, 12, whatever. And, the visitation, you know, my parents were so against each other that we had to meet at a police station, you know, and when you're a kid, you just don't understand how damaging those things are. You just don't. You're just like, you know, I remember going, I'll talk about my wife, uh, when we were dating and we'd go to Christmas, you know, at her, fa her family, everybody was nice. There was no fighting. Nobody was drunk. Nobody punched somebody. Nobody threatened somebody. And I was just like, where's the chaos? Christmas <laughs> is chaos. Where's, where's the crying? And the Everybody loved each other. Everybody got along. And they have millions of their family. And it was so foreign to me because I didn't grow up with that. It was always fights and bickering. And, you know, it took, it took a lot of counseling to, to accept my parents and understand, again, they were doing the absolute best that they could do. And I will be the first to tell you, I am so grateful for my parents. I'm mm. so grateful. Even though some people are like, how'd you live like that? I loved it. I'm so grateful for that, for my parents, for my family. I'm so grateful for that experience and growing yeah. up that way. And then from 14 and on, you're always just engaged in some type of, of like high school band or or like what, what did the music development look like? Yeah, I, had, I was that kid, high school bands, uh, going to the the uh, thrift stores to find um, guitars and amps and being i mean i remember we had a rehearsal in like a bedroom this small drums guitars bass all of us are cramped your your bass is hitting my elbow i can't play you know uh -huh. and that was that was the journey that was the thrill of it you know stages that are just that front part right there is where you start if you're even lucky enough to get a stage um so yeah music and performing has always been something that just made me feel like a superhero i yeah. just love it yeah um and then uh so you come up from your mission you're like CES life forever. Like I'm going to do it. Right. Um, did, was there a, uh, like a moment or a shift or you got back into music or what was the big shift to into yeah, the, the music life? The big shift was just being an Institute, becoming friends with the directors there and learning from them and them kind of saying, you, you don't have to be Joseph Smith. You don't, you don't have mm. to be Thomas S. Monson or, or president Nelson. Like heavenly father has them. He, he needs a you. Mm -hmm. And just hearing that over and over. And I, there's a, uh, in my, so I was married before. I told you that, right? To my wife. I told you. Okay. <laughs> she hates that joke. It's such a good joke. Um, so I was married before 
And in that home ward, uh, they called me to be gospel doctrine teacher. Now, the guy that I had to replace was Isaiah, pretty much the prophet Isaiah. This yeah. guy, just like Bruce Porter, you know, just one of those guys uh -huh. that just knows everything. And I was like, me? With my long hair and beard, you want me to replace that guy? I was like, absolutely not. Like, I love teaching, but I can't follow him. He, he knew everything. He was just one of the greatest teachers I ever met. And uh, they, they showed me a clip from Elder Holland who said, God has chosen you because of who you are, not because of who you're not. Mm. And again, it just was that overwhelming, okay, I know who I am. And at the core, I'm a son of God. And this son of God loves music and he loves teaching. And God has given us a world where I get to do both. Yeah. So I know many in this room, like have seen their loved ones come home from missions and they have that glow about them. And, you know, and we're seeing more and more of these young people abandon the faith, even a few years after the mission or less. And so like, and especially with your story going through maybe a divorce as a young man and, and whatnot, like how do you, where do you find the strength or what did, uh, relying on God look like during that phase of your story? Um, it, it, can I talk about when I was a kid, the first lesson I learned of Jesus? I don't know if you- I was supposed to you. say oh, you up. No, 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 you okay. don't have to say me, I was okay. good. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I paid you well for this. But, uh, um, can I talk about that? <laughs> yeah, story I love quick? that. Okay, yeah. so how I maintained that growth, uh, there's a few thoughts. Um, something, when I get to do my devotionals and firesides, I like to bring up these three S's that have kept me sane, uh, that have kept me in the gospel. And it's first, seek. Seek Christ, seek Jesus Christ. After you sought him out, study him. Once you found him, grab a hold of him, study him, study who he is, how he acts, how he speaks to you. And then the third one is choose to stay. Seek, study, and stay, because that is the most important choice. How many people found Christ, met him, and then leave, right? Well, why'd they leave? Um, my first experience ever of learning of Jesus Christ was in primary, and I remember this. You're what, five or six in primary, like around that age? And, you know, I'm sitting there and there's four or five of us little kids in, in this room. And I'm just teacher, imagining a little opie with long oh, yeah, hair. Yeah, a little long hair. Yeah, no, this is new. <laughs> this wig. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting there, you know, you're swinging your feet. You're waiting for the, the teacher to come in. And she's, she came in so excited. And she says, okay, today you're going to draw a picture of somebody you don't like. And I said, oh, I'm going to draw my brother. Give me a, give me a, come on. I was so excited. And so she, she hands out the paper and I'm drawing my brother because my older brother was so mean to me all the time. I love him now, but back then I did it. And so I'm drawing him and thinking this is for, you know, making fun of me yesterday and picking on me. And then the teacher says, okay. And she brings out darts. And she says, today, we're going to throw darts at the people we don't like. Oh and that's the best day ever. The church is true. I love this church. This is so fun. I was like, oh, I love this. I love this. And so we all line up and all of our pictures are against the wall and we're throwing darts. And uh, imagine six-year-old kids throwing darts. It's so fun. And so we're throwing the darts right at the pictures. And I'm, every shot was bullseye for me. Every single one. I was doing trick shots behind the back, you know. And we were just so, so excited. We're laughing. We're having, we're just cracking up. And we sit down and the teacher starts handing back the papers. And at the very end of all of our page papers, because it was in a stack, was a picture of Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. At six years old, I had to go to counseling because of that lesson. <laughs> At six years old, who does that to kids? And I remember seeing this picture of Jesus Christ all holy because of something I had done. And at six years old, my life was rocked. Wow. I saw that and I just remember, I, we all cried. And I, was, and I mean, now that I look back, like that's such a, a deep message that you shouldn't teach six-year-olds, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not yet, ease them into it. Um, but I remember just seeing that and seeing the savior hurt 
And I just said, I will never, ever do that again to anybody. I'll never be mean to somebody. I'll never be unkind. I never want to see them feel that way. And I never want to see Jesus Christ feel that way. Um, so my method in staying in the gospel, because let me tell you, the music industry or entertainment industry is not a friendly, safe, fun place. It's brutal. And it's, and I've, I've had people offer us to, to make deals that would not be honest or do things that would not be good um, because of a dollar or because of, you know, fame or whatever. And I always think of Jesus Christ, that getting to know him. Um, can I share just one quick little thing? Yeah. All right, I'm going I'm to test it out on you. Okay. okay. All right. So if I was to give you DG's black strap, how excited would you be on a scale of one to a hundred? DG's black strap. That's all I'm going to tell you. How excited would you be? If right now I said, hey, bring out DG's Black Strat. This is for you. It's a gift. I hope it's valuable. I don't, I don't know. So how, how excited? Scale of one to uh, zero to 100. Two. Two, right? Okay. Anybody else? Anybody here right now would be stoked if I was going to give you DG's Black Strat? Probably not, right? You'd probably be like, cool. What if I told you DG stood for David Gilmore? Are you a little bit more excited? You have no idea who David I, Gilmore is. I don't is know yet, who right? he is. Okay, yeah. That's good. You so bumped you, me up to the three. Yeah, All right. bumped it up to the three. You're like, oh, <laughs> he's somebody. What if I told you that David Gilmore was in Pink Floyd and that guitar is worth over $4 million? Bring How, it out. Yeah, Let's do bring this. it out. Now you're stoked, right? Yeah. So what changed? The gift didn't change, but your understanding of that gift did. Yeah. So how can you be excited for a savior that you don't know? Mm. How can you be excited for the scriptures of the Book of Mormon if you don't understand the value? I, I would never follow a God that I did not know. I, how could I? And so now, now staying with him, seeking him, studying him, staying with him, when he says, here's repentance, I go, that is priceless. Thank you. And that, I think, is the best way for any of us to stay with Christ is to understand who he is. The kind, loving, loving goofy, friendly, awesome, perfect person that he is. Yeah. So as you're on this path of, in the music industry, like what do you sort of come to terms with the idea that maybe you can't be big and universal because you sort of have these standards or like, what does that path look like? Or, or yeah, I wrestle with that question all the Every time. Day. <laughs> yeah. Will my service and faith in God stop me from reaching my dreams? And I would say, absolutely not. And the reason being is because a 14 year old boy restored the gospel because an 80 plus something lady married to Abraham had a son because a 14-year-old virgin gave birth to the Son of God. So I believe in a God that has nothing is impossible. Yeah. I think he shows us those things to be like, yeah, that might be hard for you, not hard for me. Yeah. So I, now, being where I'm at, that answer is no, I, I'm going to make it all the yeah. way. Anyone else believe that? Yeah. <laughs> so from what I understand, you weren't birthed into the world, and your mother looked at you and said, we shall call him Ophi. <laughs> Yeah. So what tell us about the Ophi name oh, the and real name and maybe break down my shirt a little bit as, as far as what are these, uh, the what symbols? is Ophi kingdom? Yeah, I'll, and just, these... I'll just do this, you know, <laughs> hey, you work out a lot. Yeah, you know, I try. Um, so my, my first given name is actually Burke and I love that. Name. So Sam is calling you Burke around that. She would never call me Ophi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even in public, she's like, I'm not calling you that. I'm calling you Burke. Um, and it's been a, a crazy couple years being Ophi because that was the name I was signed under. Um, and I'm, I'm working on some things moving forward that I get to be myself again and get to be Burke and, and whatever that is, you'll have to wait and see. So did Ophi start as the band name? And just then? my name. Okay. Yeah. Just your name. I didn't always have a band. I was solo and I got with a, a producer and a record label and they said, you need a name and you need a look, grow your hair out, and lose weight. 
was what he said. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't do the lose weight part, but I did grow the you hair. You look like out. a seminary teacher. Yeah, exactly. Change that. That's what he said. Yeah. He's like, you look too nice. Grow your hair out. Look wild. So I said, okay. Um, and so, yeah, they, he said, pick a name. And uh, we, I, Panama, uh, they always say Ofi. It means legit, awesome, cool. It means like just everything rad, you know? Here we say cool, right? There they say Ofi. And so I said, hey, what about this name? Ofi. And he said, I love it. How do you spell it? O-F-I. I love it. That's going to be you. You're now Ofi. So I've been Ofi for the last three or four years, and now it's just kind of a nickname, and I love it. So yeah. Burke is my real name. Ofi is my my nickname. I'll, I'll answer to both. Nice. So tell me about the the symbols and Ofi pretty, Kingdom. Pretty much just uh, the symbols were some of the my most influential songs that kind of got me into the right state of mind to do this full time. So the first one is Crown. Um, that is our, our hype song. It's uh, the main lyric is I've got a crown, but it's not big enough. And it's, it's just a song about reaching our potential. I mean, we have divine heritage. We get to be gods, you know, like we've got that. Everything is at our finger. Everything we need is just within us. So I love that. Uh, Gasoline was the song that I wrote. That's the little fire symbol uh, about my mom. And when I was 17, I watched her overdose. Um, and she, she, we, we revived her. Thank goodness she's back. But I just, all the regrets, all the things that I wish I could have done. I mean, I'm 17. 17 year old kids are not that bright. I mean, some of them are. I wasn't. And so I didn't know what to do. Um, but I wrote that song to kind of help me cope and, and be okay with things that happened. The next one is Barricades. It's a song that I wrote about mental illness, about breaking down those, those barricades we build around ourselves. I'm not this enough. I'm not this enough. I stop it. I mean, we, we tell ourselves some really awful things sometimes, and I couldn't imagine the Savior saying even an ounce of some of the trash talk that I, I say to myself. Like, you're not this, you're not that. I just, I couldn't imagine him even saying that. The next song, A Little Bit Dangerous, um, that's with the heart. Um, it's a song, we are, we are playing out of all of those, A Little Bit Dangerous. That is a song about courage, about doing what it takes to be bold. Even when everybody says, you're crazy, don't do it, you know, it's about being a little bit dangerous and going for your dreams. Nice. And so with your talent, I mean, you were never formally trained in music or anything. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I see, I mean, Jenny Oaks Baker's family, I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. I mean, those guys are, they got it. I mean, I can't read music. I don't, I don't know the sheet music, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I just loved Metallica, <laughs> Linkin Park, Foo Fighters, uh, Credence Clearwater. Like I just grew up with those guys and I would just, I would escape and listen to the music and try to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And so in your, as you're writing a song, is it, uh, I mean, I, I would imagine that's a very spiritual journey. That's a meditative journey that you're on. Like, is there a way that you do that or does it just come to you? Do you have a routine that you're getting in? I believe it was Elder Bednar who said thoughts to the mind, feelings to the heart. I'm looking at Elaine Dalton. Yes, that was Elder Bednar. I think he said that, right? Yes. <laughs> thoughts to the mind, feelings to the heart. That is the best way to describe my music process is I'll think of a concept that I really like, or I'll feel something. And it's just like, you know, you ever get an itch that you're like, I got to eat this food. I don't know why, but I got to go for pizza. I got to go for Chinese. It's like that. It's like, mm. I've got this thing I want to get out. I got to sing and write about it. Yeah. And, and then it, you just keep you just, you go until it sounds and, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've written, you know, like a couple of our songs have gotten picked up for really cool things that we'll be releasing this year, but that's only like four or five out of 
300 songs I've written. Yeah. So it's like, you guys only get to see the best of the, the best. You don't get to see all the, I mean, my wife does and she'll be like, maybe not that one, you know? Um, but yeah, you guys don't get to see all the, the throwaway songs, yeah. but those are necessary. You need those. You need those to get to you know, the top. And we all have some form of throwaway songs in our life, right? That something we get excited about, then it just doesn't work, right? And yes. And we move past it, right? So what does, uh, like your, what, what's a, a week in the life of Ophi look like? I mean, are you trying to get gigs? Are you, what's outside of cruises? Cause you're not on a cruise every week. I wish. Right? I, don't you love this? I love yeah. this. This is so awesome. I love this. So, I mean, what, uh, what, what's your ideal week look like or month? And I'm sure it's up and down with, with any. Industry. It is. I mean, I, this is my 24 hour. That's all I do is music profession. That's it. Just music. Um, and it took years to get there. A lot of shows to five people in the audience or even less. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for them because they made, those are some of my favorite shows. So it's like, all right, so now we're going to talk to you three that are right there, the only ones in the, in the audience. Um, but every day is music. So, um, you know, I, I try to go to the gym. Uh, I try to study my scriptures and then it's music. I'm either in the studio or we're preparing for a show or we're writing a theme. I like to kind of have a theme to each show and just mm -hmm. kind of build something so that no one, if you saw me last year, it's not the same show. If you see me the next time, it's not the same show. Um, right now, we're currently recording our full-length album uh, with a, a Grammy-nominated producer, Randy Slaw. Shout wow. out to my boy, Randy. Um, and then uh, Jesse, you, you guys will meet Jesse and Nate when they come up here. Uh, Jesse and I co-write a lot of songs together. And so it's a lot of going to his house and losing to his wife in Catan. Settlers of Catan. <laughs> she always beats me. I hate that. Uh, but it's a lot of songwriting together and you're just, you're building a product and we want that product to be perfect. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of working on that. And so this album, is this your first like formal album? This right? will be our first financially backed uh, contracted album yeah. with music videos, with singles, with the top production in the world. Yeah. Um, I, we're, I've worked so hard on this. They, they always say you have your whole life to write your first album. And so the first albums are usually the best, you know, it's just all the experiences I've had, all the ups and downs, we've got it onto paper and then we've got it onto a recording. And now we get to share it with you guys. Not yeah. now, but later this year. And I love the movie, That Thing You Do, you know, and you see that Finally the moment up. when they hear their song on the radio but that times have changed right like so if it i mean maybe it will be on the radio but that's not like goal better per be. say so but what's with in a spotify world and whatnot like what's the main goal or when do you know that the album is successful um it's a twofold answer because there's a financial answer to that but the other one is if people love it that's it. Mm -hmm. if, if, if people connect to it the way that I did, that's all I could hope for. As a creator, and you know this, like all you want is if you just reach the one. If one person hears that album and goes, wow, that changed my life, done. Yeah. And if that one person is me or the bass player or the drummer, awesome. Um, it's something that I just, I do, I don't want to make music. I just want to make music that helps heal. That's what I want to do. I want to make music that uplifts people, that's exciting, that you hopefully today you'll get to dance and feel and just move, even if it's in your seat, but you feel some type of just moving, even if it's just this, the shoulders, you know, um, that's that's what we want to do. And yes, radio and movie placement would be awesome. So that's nice. what we're working on right now. And then at some point you hope you sort of uh, get on a tour, like a con concert tour type thing. And that's Massive another tour. Like we're, yeah. we would love to do a tour with Foo Fighters, with Muse, with Fall Out Boy, just big 
um, I think it's I think it's time the world sees more Latter Day Saints, yeah. and I think the world is is ready for that because I think we are choosing to be ready for that to be seen. I mean, your podcast, the other things that everybody else is doing, it's just like, yeah, we're LDS and we get to be cool too. You know, yeah. we get to we get to go out and and do rock music and still keep our standards. That's coolest thing ever is being able to just go to the temple with my guys and then go play a show. I'm like, what, what rock band does that? You know, yeah. so cool. That's cool. Any other uh, dynamic in the life of Ophi that we haven't touched on that would be... I want to talk about my wife just real quick. Oh, let's do that. My first one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Uh, I mean, when you start off with music, it's not like you're the Rolling Stones. I mean, I did many, many shows to make 50 bucks, 100 bucks, because I was broke. In fact, the first time we met, my car had been repossessed. Um, I, I had $17, one seven in my account. And I said, hey, let's go on a date. And I was gonna, can, can we fast <laughs> before this date? Uh, we went to a burger joint called In-N-Out. And I remember standing and I'm like, okay, if she orders a number one, I can get French fries. If she orders a number two, I could get a burger and French fries. And so I'm just sitting there like, oh man, if my card gets declined again, I don't know if anybody here has ever had that experience. And don't, don't show us, but having your card decline in front of your friends, worst thing ever, or your car repossessed. And she would always pick me up for our first dates, even has gone as far as giving blood to make sure that we could get a little bit extra money. And we've been so fortunate that in the last year, shows have just been, have been awesome and shows have been, I mean, again, not like we're rich or anything, but, um, we, we've, we've just been so lucky and so blessed. So I, I would not be here if it wasn't for my wife, Samantha, if it wasn't for her. And I'm not alone in that. Nate and, and Jesse, same thing. I mean, they're not up here with the microphone, but we talk about our wives. We talk about how we literally would not be men without them and, and everything that they do to take care of their kids and their family. And I just, I hope that that's what, I'll finish with this, that when, when it is my time to go, I feel like I'm ready now. I'm, I'm ready. Not that I want to go, but I feel like when it is my time, I hope people don't just talk about the music. I hope they say that guy loved his wife. He loved his kids and he loved everybody. And he, and he knew Jesus Christ. That would be my favorite thing that they say. And then that guy made some good music. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, last year you introduced us to a remarkable song. That's definitely my favorite Ophi song so far. And maybe I'll hear a few new ones today, but um, about Jesus, about walking to him and walking on water and whatnot. Um, I want to give you a little bit of time to go back and, you know, regroup with your band and whatnot. So, but before you do that, can you, uh, you want me to play the song? Yeah. Can you play the song? You guys song want me to play the song? Yeah. Come on. Warm us up. Well, let me, let me, let me say one thing about this song, um, in preparation. I hope we have time. Yeah. We're good. Um, are we? Or, yeah. We're okay. I think so. Unless uh, it's a 20 minute song. <laughs> it's 27, 27 okay. minute song. Um, <laughs> No, with, with, with this song, um, I was asked to speak with David Osman, with Alex Boyer, with um, the tattooed girl. Now I forgot her name. Um, Cal Alex. Al Fox. Yeah, Al, Al yeah, Fox. Al. Um, and so they asked me to speak on Peter walking on water. And I was like, that's my favorite story ever. And so two days before this conference, I, I was like, I, I should write a song about this. And it poured out in 10 minutes. I, I flub up the lyrics every once in a while because there's so many lyrics. But um, it's just, it's... It's such a remarkable thing. And my favorite takeaway of that story was, you remember they're three and a half miles out in the middle of a storm and Christ just walks right to them. Didn't ask for directions. Didn't have to ask Siri where they are. He just knew in the middle of a storm exactly where they were. And with a little bit of faith, they, he was able to walk on water. Now imagine a lot of bit of faith. 
imagine the things you could do. And I just, I love that beauty because you will be in a storm. Every single person in here has been in a storm. And if you haven't, it's a coming. And those storms are beautiful. Nice. And what's the name of the song? I Will Walk. I Will Walk. All right. Just do the acoustic. It's just acoustic. Yeah, let's no do good. it. All right. Yeah. Second. Can you guys hear that? Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't, <laughs> we don't get to play this song a lot as a rock band, so decided we get to play it now. Uh, I will walk. like a storm is coming but then I saw you walk on water like a ghost then I heard you holler not to ever be afraid even though the storm is here now but if the same waves above my head are under your I will follow you out to the depths Even if I sink Cause I've been afraid for way too long Counting the ways that I've been wrong I'm looking for grace every time I fall Save me, Lord, I don't wanna be lost I've run away with all my flaws Caught up in things that break your heart Though the storm in my faith rages on Bid me to come and I will walk I sang hallelujah to your name Wind and rain were music But the storm began to grow And it stole my eyes right off you so then I cried, Jesus, can you save me just one more time? The fourth watch has me waiting and my faith is running low and I don't think I can reach you. But if the same waves above my head are under your feet, I will follow you out to the depths even if I sink. I've been afraid for way too long Counting the ways that I've been wrong I'm looking for grace every time I fall Save me, Lord, I don't want to be lost I've run away with all my flaws Caught up in things that break your heart Though the storm in my faith rages on Bid me to come and I Every time I start to sink, you're always there to catch me and lift me up and lift me up and lift me up. 
So I'm not afraid anymore I'm counting on you even more You give me grace every time I fall You saved me, Lord, from ever being lost I've been saved from all my flaws Cause you paid the price upon the cross So even if the storm rages on Bid me to come and I on water now I know I can walk on water like you Ophie concludes this episode of the leading saints podcast we'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments you can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us your perspective or questions if there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the leading saints podcast go to leadingsaints.org contact and share with us the information there and we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org 14 to access our full Young Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.